All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my studious co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. He just told me he was mostly done with some homework that he had for, for yeah, later yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, nothing like, I, look, I, I live by the, the principle of MWE, minimum wasted effort. So I don't like to finish anything way ahead of schedule. So uh, I have uh, a couple slides left for my 3.30, but uh, we'll knock this out. And um, you know, homework's good. It's good. And pressure's good. All right. So quick reveal, although I'm feeling kind of sheepish today because, all right, one, I got to navigate the chair. So I got the Bitcoin orange pants on and I have the um, the Bitcoin moon, uh, the Bitcoin moon sock game. But no, I mean, it, it should really be going the other way. I should, I wanted to wear the Bitcoin roller coaster socks, but uh, I had worn them and they were in the wash. So, because um, clearly we're, we're on a roller coaster. Interestingly, a couple factoids. So hey. we're down about 10% in the last month. Um, and, and why is all this matter at all? Uh, well, it's because I, I, you know, I declared a while ago that Tuesday, which was my birthday, uh, not that I want to keep harping on that, but that's what I declared, that it was going to be my birthday present, that crypto summer would arrive, that we'd get the crypto equinox. I think I might be early you know, maybe it's maybe it's June fifteenth. You know, at June fifteenth was the the spring equinox uh, last year. Maybe it's me June fifteenth this year, so maybe I'm a little early. But the really interesting factoid is Bitcoin's dead flat over the last twelve months. Yeah. That's pretty interesting, and and it's because it fell from sixty down to you know twenty seven or whatever, and then. It was kind of flattish. And then it had the 15, you know, down to 15 during the FTX debacle. And if you look at the chart, it's like a beautiful inverse head and shoulders at 27,000. Yeah. And so it's a really interesting technical pattern. And, you know, I, I think we need some, see some good news to get the momentum going. We do. Yeah, the, the chart for Bitcoin actually doesn't look super dissimilar from the chart for gold actually, yeah. which is yeah. basically this kind of decade-long cup and handle pattern. And it's sort of struggled with the resistance around 2000 or something. But uh, yeah. you'd have to imagine they're trading on relatively the same. I, I will say it was a little, you know, watching Bitcoin respond initially very positively to the first one of the bank failures, SVB. It's kind of had a similar knee-jerk reaction to struggles from PacWest, but it's kind of a muted response each time, which kind of makes me question whether or not that's actually something that a bet that investors are making or if the initial SVB bet was just investors saying, that's it, the Fed has broken something, we're going to need to pour liquidity back in and then that's what Bitcoin was responding to. Yeah, It's on the margin, pun intended. Um, <laughs> on the margin, there are a few that said, whoa, 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 banks are less safe. I need to be my own bank. Yeah. And, and there was literally some demand um, for for BTC. Yeah, I think much of the big move this year was short covering, right? So you had you had the big Binance short liquidation uh, early in February, March. You had more short covering around uh, some kind of news around the uh, liquidation of of the Mt. Gox stuff that actually didn't happen, and so that that was part of it. But then you had some real demand, right? I mean, MicroStrategy, yeah. Michael Saylor was out buying and that that was real. Um, but I do think, and actually the, the topic of my presentation later today is about the banking crisis of 23. And I go back throughout history of, of the banking crisis from the 1800s, the 1900s. And, and uh, what's interesting is if you would have said, we we're going to have three of the largest bank failures in history this year, which was not on anyone's bingo card, by the way. If you would have oh. said that, that this would be the largest year for bank failures in history. Now, part of that's inflation adjustments, but, but even inflation adjusted, it was bigger than 2008. Because uh, what people forget is 2008 was really just whammo. And then there were a bunch of smaller banks in 9, 10, 11 uh, that failed. So there could be another wave of failures going on. Uh, and we've seen that with PacWest and Western Alliance and things like that. 
But if you would have said that that was going to happen, you would have thought, oh my God, Bitcoin's going to crash. Instead, it's up meaningfully. And I do think there's information content there. And, and look, I, I come back to the whole thing that all of this, I think, is a plan to foment fear in the banking system so that we'll all gladly, happily accept the CBDC that's coming. And, you know, that's the sinister Saturday part that that I'm sure you don't want to talk about. But you uh, you court controversy for sure. But I. I, I look, I think ultimately my my deep worry, too, is I, I don't you know, I disagree with you about the plan thing, but I do think a CBDC is, you know, all signs are are kind of pointing towards that at the time being, which sucks. I don't know if you caught before we get into our topics. I don't know if you listened to the Druckenmiller speech that he gave. Um, he spoke at I just saw the synopsis. I, didn't, I didn't see the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I always just think it's worth listening to him just to paraphrase. Mm-hmm. It's basically to. You know, he keeps kind of reiterating that, you know, in all of his years of investing, and he's also a guy that studied markets before he was even active, you know, he's kind of just reiterating that there's no precedent for the situation that we've seen that we're seeing today. Very uncertain in a whole bunch of, uh, in a whole bunch of areas, be very, definitely very concerned. Um, yeah. he, he said something which really resonated with me, just the most recent experience with, with crypto and the banking situation is, you know, if you hold interest rates at, at 0%, people are going to do some dumb things. If you hold them there for 11 years, people are going to do some really dumb things. Really? And the other thing that people, I think, at least me, I have to keep learning is that there's the initial you know, crash or catalyst or reaction or change, but then it takes a long time for the bodies to kind of float to the surface. And these banks, like we're, we're going to talk about this later, but banks are, they're contracting credit, right? There's a, there's a real impact here on, on loans. And who who isn't getting refinanced, right? So the the risk free rate is way higher than it used to be. Banks aren't lending. That is just a cocktail for disaster. I mean, someone is going to float to the surface here sooner rather than oh, it's going to take gosh. a little while. Oh, it, take a little while. It's such, yeah, it's such a good point. And, and there's going to be so many types of of bodies flowing, you know, floating, and you know, commercial real estate, it's coming. And, you know, that was part of this, this presentation I've done. You know, they, they tried to label Signature Bank a crypto bank, right, to shut it down. Oh, crypto is like this much, this much. It's all real estate and they are going to get destroyed, right? Those, those loans are going to get destroyed. And so they, there was no way the FDIC could bail them out because they don't have any money. In fact, you know, the announcement today, they're going to charge the big banks, billions of dollars to try to replenish the FDIC coffer because um, they burned it all up on, on FRC. And it, look, it's, it's bad. And, you know, we talked last week about 350 California, you know, $300 million asset that the bids are 60 to 70. That's someone else's asset, right? That loan is someone else's asset and that, that's going to get vaporized. I completely agree. I, I, you know, that it's almost, you feel like there's something, everyone is focused on commercial real estate, which makes me think it's going to be something, it's so obvious, right? It's everyone has no, probably heard this point. statistics at this point, point. Too, right? Is, you know, pe- will they kick the can down the road? Will they do, look, if, if you remember back global financial crisis, you know, yeah. all roads lead to Jamie Dimon. Um, yeah. You know, Jamie decided not to foreclose on loans that his friends had. And you could do that, I guess, if you're the boss. And that is likely going to happen again, right? I mean, you're going to see selective enforcement or selective calling. And look, if you're a small regional bank right now, (laughs) you're done. Right there, yeah. you have no friends. There's there's not going to be anybody to come rescue you. If you're a small community bank that you know lent to all these these you know nice local businesses, nope, they're not going to help you. But if you own trophy assets that you know J.P. Morgan get their mitts on, guess what? They'll help you. Yeah, that's my kind of feeling too. It's you, the rules can be changed. The rules can always be changed, and that's what makes predicting this stuff so hard. 
So I want I want to start to get into got a, a nice little slide deck here, and where I want to start this week is talking about inflation. So we had CPI uh, gone. April's numbers. It's like that. It's like that South Park scene. It's gone. And it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Uh, but this is. I mean, you got four charts here for you. So basically, the you know cork or we we got month over month it was 0.4 percent increase. We're down now to a sub five handle year over year, so a 4.9% um, year over year. We've got it broken out here by contribution. So, and this is obviously headline and headline and core. Core is the one that the Fed really cares about. We're going to talk about super core in a second, but it's it's really pretty easy to see, at least on the starting with year over year. I mean, goods inflation has large, it's just got, it's evaporated, right? It's gone at this point. Even in the last couple of months, uh, energy is no longer a component. It's a negative, it's a drag on inflation. Really the thing that's been very sticky is, so food is contributing, but really it's just services. And we know that that's largely made up of shelter, right? Owner's equivalent rent. Yeah. Owner's equivalent rent rent is 70 plus percent. And it's a stupid number. Right. It's yeah. a made up number and it's sticky both up and down yeah. and it's always lagging, super lagging. And it's again, it's it's the rent you pay yourself to rent your house from yourself, which <laughs> you never do. I mean, right. it's just not it's, not it's not a real number. And so. Look, all the things that you were mentioning a minute ago, Michael, are are what's important, right? If, okay. if the banks are contracting credit, that's deflationary not inflationary, right? If if people are getting laid off, that's deflationary, not inflationary. If, um, you know, real estate loans are getting called and can't get refinanced, that's deflationary, not inflationary. If banking consolidation's happening, that's deflationary, not inflationary. The, you know, by the end of this year, it, this won't even be on anyone's radar. We won't talk about the word inflation. We'll be talking about deflation. We'll be talking about you know wire prices falling so fast, particularly in real estate. Um, you know, I interest rates. Look where interest rates are. Interest rates are collapsing. Collapsing. Yeah. So. It was it was interesting because in this speech that Druckenmiller gave, he actually specifically referred to inflation and said, in three years, I could make the case for inflation being at 8% or I could make the case for deflation, which is pretty wide, pretty wide surface area for that prediction. And yeah, I'll, go with the D. I'll take the D. Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from here because so, I mean, the other thing to point out is next year is an election year. And I don't know if you caught the town hall that Trump did at CNN, which I don't want to go down this route, but that just makes me sick. I, you know, it's just, I I read that Michael, and I had cognitive dissonance. I'm like, CNN presents Donald Trump. Like what? It's just, it's, it's, it's just nakedly revealing their incentives and how they, they really feel about all this stuff. I mean, the, 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 the ultimate winner of Trump running is CNN. That's where they get all their ratings from. I mean that—that's who the big winner is here, and they're oh, going to—they're going to—they're going to call him the Antichrist. They're going to do all these thought pieces and stuff. It's just gross. Every once in a while, so I don't have cable, but I'm—I'm I'm staying in my friend's house here in Florida. He's got cable, so we we're kind of watching the circus. The circus that these cable, these yeah. cable news channels put on makes me physically ill. It looks like the Hunger Games. I, I really, really. Just makes me a little sad. Is how it actually makes me feel. Not to get on my soapbox here, no, but it is. It, it's uh, sad's the right word. It is very sad. It's it's but incredibly sad. It does have implications for you know. I think you were kind of the one who got this on my radar. Is you know that has implicate when when there's an election year, then politics starts to play a very big role in, for instance, gasoline prices. Right? Pe- people care an enormous amount about that. So the X, it's the X factor, right? If gasoline prices yeah. are high. People hate the president. If gasoline prices are low, they love the president. Doesn't matter what party, doesn't matter they whoever it is. Doesn't, doesn't matter if they even like the person. If gas yeah. prices are low, they love the guy. Well, it's always someday it'll be a gal, but but right now they love the guy. Yeah. Now 
The other thing that I want to get your your take on here is uh, this is super core, right? So this is the this is Jerome Powell's new new metric that we're using to try to see see through here, uh, see through and try to get a, a measure this of this. This is inflation parts. minus everything, right? <laughs> this is the adjusted EBITDA of inflation, exactly. Um, so you know, but but to you know, you and I can sit here and say this doesn't make sense. Chair Powell has come out and said, this is the measure that we're choosing yeah. to pay attention to. And that's down month over month and is, is largely trending in the right direction. It looks like this is rolled over. So I think that's also, that's also probably pretty good. The market yeah, reacted it's, positively. It's like this, this up. Years ago, you know, if you don't heat or cool your house, go to the grocery store, um, send your kids to college, get sick and have to buy medicine. Um, or uh, put gas in your car, there's no inflation. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. I agree with you. I I think if you zoomed it up to the the highest level here, right? Like, why do we care about inflation and why do we track inflation? If I'm taking the most cynical view, I care about that as a government because if inflation got too high, people would riot in the streets. Of course. So yeah. I think it's wildly short-sighted of them to, I understand that energy is volatile. I understand that food's volatile. But to exclude those costs, no. it, yeah, I think you're, I think you're losing... The, the high level of wire tracking. No, it's why one of my favorite pictures was circulating around the internet yesterday with uh, The Rock, with Kevin Hart tucked under his arm from that <laughs> movie they did together. And it yeah. was like, you know, Kevin Hart was was the, you know, inflation number, reported inflation. And The Rock was actual inflation, like real life mm-hmm. inflation. And and look, this is, back to your point on circus, this is the breads and the bread and circuses thing. Right. If if you can get a couple things that people care about to be cheap yeah. and you can entertain them, they won't they won't pay attention to the reality that's going on around them. They won't pay attention to the fact that they're stuck in, you know, these these slavish jobs and barely getting by and and have low quality of life. I mean, if if you can entertain them. Uh, which is what MSM, you know, mainstream media has turned into. Um, and I don't know. I, 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 you're, your word, right? I'm saddened by this. I'm I mean, saddened it, by it. Very sad to watch a, again, I call it systematic, fully planned, like surgical strike against the human psyche and, 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 and it just channels money to the tippy top of that, you know, all seeing eye pyramid. And the fact that there aren't like more threats of riot is kind of weird. Well, watch gas and food. Right. And I think, you know, it's, it's uh, not that I'm any sort of media analyst or whatever. I kind of track it just by virtue of, uh, Blockworks, but I don't know how many people saw there's a big shakeup. You had Don Lemon leave CNN and Tucker Carlson leave Fox. And Tucker has put out a couple of videos, and apparently he's going to be doing a show, looks like on Twitter. Twitter. Each yeah. time, each time he's put one of these one of these videos out, it's got, I think the latest one he did has almost 120 million views. It's more than all the broadcast networks combined. We'll, pro- we'll probably look back on this as sort of a watershed moment for it's, you know, media the you, it would be very hard pressed to say these guys should be making more money right but my just with kind of an understanding of how media works 
I think what you're seeing, the, the deterioration in the quality of media that we get is due to the deterioration of the quality of their business model. Because yeah. like it or not, people like to read US Weekly, right? They like to see what celebrities are doing. This is, a, this is kind of ultimately a game of, of page views and eyeballs and engagement. And they have to, when all of this, the, all of this low quality junk food content is a result of the fact that their margins are declining and they need more views. But yeah. that's a, a little, little beyond the point here. I want no, to give you a- 100%, although I, I do wonder, just out of curiosity, you know, how many of those are, are bots, right? Yeah. Like, like the click farm, you know, like my favorite picture of the, you know, I, I play Pokemon Go and with my son and there's the picture of the, the grandpa in China on his, on his bike. He's got like 17 phones that he's playing Pogo on. And, uh, you know, somebody could e equally pay him to click on that video, you know, a hundred times a day. It's really hard to tell. I I did see Elon say he was going to, they're going to be deleting a whole bunch of inactive accounts. And I, I guess that doesn't get bots, but it's, it's really hard to know. All uh, I know is I lost my blue check and imposters of so many people paid $8 to get a blue check. And so for some reason that makes sense, right? That you can, fair. you can be a bot and, and not real, but if you pay $8, you're, you're verified, whatever. Um, not that I'm bitter about it, but yeah. So the, I want to get your thoughts on the two year and the dollar. So yeah. two year, two year yields is, it's a pretty good, you know, my, the, there's a very strong correlation between, um, you know, federal funds and the two year, they tend to walk sort of hand in hand. So I sort of feel like the two year is a good, it's a good indicator. Yep. And after we got our inflation report, you know, it's down. So I guess the market the market that's that's a sign right yeah. from the market yep. dollar and in, re, initially reacted similarly it's rebounded quite a bit since then yep. um i don't have a great explanation for why that is but generally i think that you know the two-year 10-year and the dollar are very good just macro indicators and i don't know yeah. if you're seeing I something think what you're seeing i think what you got here on the right is is the broad dollar index the one against yeah. like you know real currencies emerging market currencies um, you know, usually the one everyone talks about is DXY and that's right. really just the yen and the euro, uh, and the dollar, uh, this, this broader one has a lot of emerging market currencies. And I think, I think the emerging markets are, are struggling again. Right. I mean, I, I think they are feeling the effect of the fact that, you know, Powell, despite all the protestations to the contrary, didn't pivot, didn't pause. He just raised interest. Now he only raised 25 basis points, but he raised, right? And and a lot of you know countries that have denominated their debt in uh uh dollars are are feeling the pain in these emerging markets. Yeah. And and you got I think I think this is a little bit, you know, Argentina uh inflation's up over 100 percent Brazil, it was creeping up again, Turkey, crazy numbers. So I think that's what you're seeing in this TWI number, but but I could be wrong. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Now, I we we had a great interview um, this week. We talked a little bit about uh, uh, with Bob Elliott and Cameron Dawson. Talked a little bit about breadth in the stock market, and this is it's just kind of an interesting indicative chart. This is the the relative weight in the S and P 500 of Apple and Microsoft. And this goes back to 1994 when they were about mm. you know one and a half uh, percent, yeah. and now they're 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 peaking at 14 percent. And, you know, similar, similar indicator here, just in terms of, um, you know, members, uh, just, this is it, this chart is just an indicator of, uh, breadth in the, yeah. in the, in the S and P 500. So I guess the worry would be the market's really being held up by a couple of mega cap stocks. So oh, lack, lack of breadth is death, right? Yeah. Um, hashtag for it. Lack of breadth yeah. is death to bull markets. And now it can always go longer than you think, you know, it went longer than we thought it would in 2000. And then it crashed 84% and it went longer than we thought in 2007 and eight. And then it crashed, you know, 60 some odd percent. Uh, yeah. This time it's gone crazier than ever. And it's, it's really because of this, you know, passivization, make up a word, um, 
that, you know, every two weeks, people's 401ks and 403bs automatically buy the S&P 500 because they don't have very many options in their 401k and 403b. And you're forced, right? Because these these are dumb strategies, meaning rule-based, not unintelligent, but they're dumb and they're not allowed to think. And so they have to buy Microsoft. They have to buy Apple, irregardless of the weighting. The fact that Apple now has negative revenue, I mean, a net income growth is insane that it's trading at, you know, 26, 27 times. Microsoft <laughs> invested $10 billion in open AI and their market caps up half a trillion Yeah, because now they're an AI company. I'm like, really? Have, have you used their bot? It's not great. I mean, this AI thing is, it's a mania and it's, and it's a mania that I think we're going to look back 10 years from now and go, Oh my God, what were we thinking? I mean, cause the numbers are so big. I mm. mean, think about that half a trillion dollars of market cap on the delivery of nothing. You know, open AI is still hemorrhaging cash, hemorrhaging cash. And I did a, I did a chat GPT the other day. And uh, so I played around with it and, and I asked it to write about something I knew something about, right? My wife and I did a scholarship fund at Notre Dame. I said, describe the Hesper Yusko Scholars Program. And it said, the Hesper Yusko Scholars Program is a competitive scholarship program at the University of Notre Dame in, in Indiana. Like, okay, good, check. Funded with a generous donation from Frank H. and Joan K. Yusko. I'm like, no, not named Frank. My wife's not named Joan. They conflated three families. Frank is Frank Eck, who gave the baseball stadium and the alumni center. And Joan Crock gave the Peace Studies Institute. So none of us are related. So that was the first problem. And then it went on to describe the program and it messed up the, the specifics on that in terms of what the scholarship was. Like if you can't even get facts right, is it really intelligent? I don't know. And so I, I think this is, is a true mania. In fact, now Meta, I guess, is going to shed Meta. You know, are they going to change their name to MedAI? I don't know. Maybe. So I, I agree with you that it's a mania, but I also think it's real. Kind of the same way that crypto goes through manias, right? The ICO mania was a mania. And a lot of investors lit a lot of money on fire. But directionally, that was a pretty good bet. Yes. And there were a couple there were a couple ICOs in that bunch that actually did extremely well. Same yeah. thing with NFTs. NFTs were undoubtedly a mania. Do I think NFTs are real? Yeah, I do. Yep. And I, I think it's kind of a, I kind of now think of bubbles as being directionally right. You don't want to get in on the first wave or you certainly don't want to be a holder of the first yeah. wave. You know, you want to get in and get out. Yeah. But, you know, anything that grabs people's excitement that much is probably a pretty good uh, in, indicator that within 10 years, it'll be real. And to your point, I think there'll be a lot of disruptions. We, we talked about, I don't know if you saw Chegg, but Chegg is sort of this this company that students use to modify, you know, complement their existing studies, yeah. which really means to cheat. cheat on the so home. they, yeah, they got smoked. Their, their stock is down 40, 40 some odd percent because they mentioned that AI was going to be a competitive threat. But I think it, it reminds me a little bit of when, when Amazon bought Whole Foods in yeah. 2017 and all the, all the grocers, they way overreacted. Yep. And uh, I actually, I, you know, not financial advice, I bought a little Costco on that dip because I was just thinking that this makes no sense. No this sense. is not competitive to the business model. So I think there will be some overreactions from investors that are very jumpy about this. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people will lose a lot of money, but I, I think eventually it'll be, it'll be real. Um, oh, no, no, no. I, I'm not, I'm not saying AI is not real. I, I, look, yeah. I, think, I think, but also it's not new. It's been around since 1950. Been, and in yeah. fact, chatbots have been around for 30 years. And, yeah. and look, when you type a prompt into chat GPT and it starts flowing, it's hypnotic. It's cool. It's, it is it's hypnotic. Actually, it's actually good. And, it, and yeah. it goes at exactly the right speed so I can read it and I can read fast. And, and, and it's, it's pretty good. The fact that it's factually inaccurate, that's a problem. The fact that sometimes it goes 
off on on weird tangents. Like I had this I had this debate with it the other day. So I said, "Is it possible to for a human to go to Mars?" Yes, it is. Definitive. Yes, it is. And it gave me all the things. I said, "Okay, you said logistics and 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 reentry were, were things that had to be solved." So technically, it's not possible for a human. Apologies for the confusion. You're right. It, it's it's not technically possible, but it's theoretically possible. And I'm like, okay, yeah. If it's theoretically possible, sure. and 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 this went on for like four iterations, and I said, look, if it's if it's theoretically possible, then how do we solve the fact that? we can't land on the surface with current technology. What, what are we going to do? And it was interesting how it was, it actually stopped. It literally said network error and it stopped. And I was going to post the whole thing, but I, I decided not to, but it just literally stopped. It, it just says, I'm, I'm done talking to you. So, um, I don't know. I we can get frustrated in arguments. It's just I know. like people, I know, just like people. But, in the middle I'm of a debate, I'm frustrated. I don't I want to talk to you anymore in that its first response was the bias of, well, yes, it's possible. Like, it's not. It's just not. Yeah. And yeah. and to say it is based on what, you know, everybody's like, oh, we're all going to the moon. I mean, we're all going to Mars. We're going to colonize Mars. No, we're not. Now, maybe yeah. someday we'll solve the problems and we'll get closer, but you can't. And yeah. I just thought that was, it was just a very interesting thing that, if the data exists in a certain form, that's the only thing it can rely on. That's what the tool yeah. does, right? It doesn't have the sentience yet to intuit, oh, okay, then technically it can't happen. Theoretically, still possible based on our understanding of physics. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Me too. Me too. All right. I want to get back here because I want to I want to discuss with you this this sort of point that we started to get into right at the beginning of this episode, which was just bank, um, just credit conditions general. So yeah. looking at two two charts right next to each other, one is it's it's a measure of credit that banks are extending. Now, this is it's kind of a very specific measure. This is the percent of banks that are reducing the maximum credit size lines for large and middle market firms. So it's not totally perfect, right? But it's a decent measure of uh, strain in the credit markets. And then on the right, uh, what we're looking at is two lines, which is the PMI, manufacturing PMI, which is kind of a forward economic indicator. And then the percentage of banks that are tightening standards for commercial industrial loans. And it shows you something that's probably relatively intuitive, which is when credit is not being extended towards industry, industry contracts. And shocking. If, if you pair that up with with this, which is U.S. lending standards and, and payroll, which is basically a tightening of credit, there's a lag and then it impacts payroll. I think putting all of that together with Stanley Druckenmiller's comments about bodies floating to the surface, we we intuitively know that this stuff takes some time. These banks, I think people are very focused on the hype and the hysteria around banks failing. Oh my gosh, it's 19, 1920s again. But I think what, what we haven't really fully digested or been honest with ourselves about is there is going to be more pain to come. It doesn't oh, manifest. God. It doesn't manifest instantly. But you know, four, five, six months down the line, this this means that folks that needed credit are not going to get that credit, and oh, that's yeah, when you're going to see the bodies wash up. The the lag effects are so real. And yeah. if you go back to that other chart for a second, you know, you'll notice that there are zero incidences. Now we're only looking at five, but okay, five is a pretty good trend. There are zero yeah. incidences of a spike in the um, the banks starting to restrict credit and recession. Sure. Right, four for four before this one. This will not be different. So recession, they they can claim that we're not in one, but we're in one. And second quarter GDP is going to be negative. So anyway, at some point this year they'll call it a recession. On the right-hand side, again, I'm not a statistician, I'm a PhD. That's yeah. a really high correlation, like yeah. extremely high correlation between PMI and credit. And that's exactly as you described. If if you take credit away 
from operating companies, they stop operating. That's, that's the way it works. And if you give yeah. them free credit, they do really well. And then on the next page, this is my old wrestling coach, right? Where the head goes, the body follows. You want your opponent to go left, move their head left. You want them to go right, move their head right. The body has no choice. And, and that, that chart that shows employment is going to fall and it's going to fall precipitously. And we can fudge the numbers all we want by, you know, we, we withdraw 10,000 people every single day from the employment number because they turn a certain age. That's insane because if you've been to Costco or any place else, you'll notice that they are still working, but they suddenly are no longer in the workforce. And so the employment numbers don't look as bad as they otherwise would. And the other problem is the birth death ratio, which again is made up and they're going to continue to make up a number until such time as then BER says we're in a recession. And so it, it is, it's a myth to think that there isn't going to be this reckoning because again, there are no incidents in that chart where one goes down and the other doesn't go with it because where the head goes, the body follows. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you all for listening to On The Margin. Just wanted to give you guys a heads up about a conference that we have coming up in the new year called Permissionless. I'm sure most of you all have been there last year. Uh, it is the cultural event of the year. We had over 5,500 people down in Palm Beach. This year, we are moving to Austin, Texas. You know what they say about Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> Uh, so last year, we had a really great lineup of speakers. We had the two co-founders of Robinhood, Vlad Tenev and Baiju Bot. We had Chris Dixon. We had some of the folks that have been on the show a whole bunch of times, Jim Bianco, Dan Tapiero, just a phenomenal lineup of speakers, and you can expect the same this year. If you use Margin 10, you'll get 10% off on a ticket. Again, that's Margin 10, because I love you guys so much. Click the link at the bottom of the show notes. Hope to see you there in person. Something that was wildly non-intuitive to me about finance when I first started learning about this subject was... My my kind of intuitive thought was when you have something like the stock market, let's say it goes up 50% and then goes down 25%, you should be totally fine, right? You're still up net on that period of time. But that's not really how it works because people take loans out. They take loans out on their, on their stock, on their financial assets. Yes. So when something goes up 50%, people are, you know, they're getting capital efficiency on their assets that whole time. And they're taking loans out at the stock price when it's at when it's at the highs so then when the stock price turns over everyone gets margin called i i just i that's so simple to say out loud but you know it was just not my intuitive understanding of how things worked when i was first looking at it and as it turns out it's much better to just go from go up 25% then up 50% then down 25% to end at the same result one of those scenarios has so much more pain involved than the other. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, and so, so yes, and it, and it, and it's not linear. It's right. exponential, and right. and it's because the 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 more you extend the euphoria, the more crazy people get. Yeah. The more risk they seek, the more margin right. they're willing to take, the more assets they will cross collateralize, and sure. when it unwinds. That's why it's, it's, you know, the, the markets take the escalator up and the elevator down <laughs> and, yeah. and that's just the way it works. And again, it's not necessarily a bad thing that cleansing, we've talked about it with, you know, the winter and crypto and, you know, winters are not bad. They, we need them to, you know, kill off the bad and, you know, erase the, you know, the bad companies and, and the, the tech bubble crashing in 01 and 02, right? We needed WorldCom to go away. We needed yeah. Enron to go away. We needed, you know, Puma Technologies to go away in order for Chewy.com and Amazon and other companies to, to emerge and become stronger. Um, and for people to say, oh, okay, that's how you do it. That's good. I like that. That other stuff was, was bubble. So yeah. that, that absolutely is real. But I, I think the, the financialization and the gamification of markets in the past decade will make, I believe, this final reckoning 
worse. I agree with that. I and and you you would think that it has to come. I mean, we I do think that this is a bright spot actually for crypto that you don't hear talked about a lot. But I feel like we've done a better job of washing out our bad actors than. Yeah. I don't think TradFi has taken its medicine as much. Not to say that maybe there 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 might be you know some more pain to come for crypto. Maybe it's regulatory, but I think the leverage has been been cleansed from the system pretty darn thoroughly. It definitely and, has. It definitely and has. I and, don't think um, that's the case for TradFi. No, no, no. TradFi is still super lever- and, and leverage is down a lot, but it's still higher than both 09 and uh, I mean 08 and and 00. So. Um, and it's because the Fed held interest rates at zero for 13 years. And they shouldn't, or 12 years, and they shouldn't have. But they yeah. did for a reason. They did for a very specific reason. And that was to allow the banks to re-liquefy their balance sheets. And now they've reversed it. And I, again, I will argue intentionally to uh, get rid of the competitors to JP Morgan the same way it happened with the Knickerbocker Trust washout uh, in 1907. And so it, it's not an accident that JP Morgan buys every asset at a huge discount. And it's not a surprise that they're the best performing large bank this year, full stop. They're the only one that's not down. It's not an accident that you know they are eliminating competition as JP Morgan famously quipped, I, I like a little competition. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I do think we're headed towards towards banking consolidation. And that seems to be a one. I mean, it is. If you look at the history of if you look at the history of banking, it's a one way street. I will say just before we move on that it is a little funny if you compare now everyone's drudging out the comparisons between 2008 and uh, and now. And by the way, if you talk to anyone. Oh, yeah, we all saw 2008 coming. <laughs> Yeah, I, everyone says that. Right, I mean, I've I've heard verbatim multiple questions. Well, everyone kind of knew something was wrong with two thousand eight. No, they didn't. No, they didn't, didn't at all. Nobody. That's why only a handful of money people made money, and that's why there's a movie about it. And um, that, but look, I will it, say, it, I, I, I'm sorry, not everybody saw it. And to your point, there were four groups that saw it. You know, John Paulson, John Burbank, and Kyle Bass. And Phil Falcone, thank you, Jesus. We had money with all four of them. Um, and and again, we only saw it. I think, I don't know if I told the story on here or not. You know, we saw it, not because we're geniuses. We had a client who was living in Incline Village, Nevada, and he was pissed yeah. off that his neighbors, I think I've told the story. I think he was pissed off. His neighbors were 35 with young kids living in $12 million houses. So they can't afford this. And this will end find me the people to get short. And we went out and searched and it was his idea, not mine. Um, but we did find the guys to, to, to put on the big short. But to your point, when we put it on at, uh, in uh, the, the early part of 2007, we were down almost 40% before we went yeah. up 500. So early euphemism for wrong, you know, the only good news is we couldn't get out. <laughs> we were locked up because yeah. uh, you know we had some clients who were like, "You're idiots. Get back, get our money back." So it's tough. It's tough. But the the difference then too was okay. Everyone, it's a housing bubble. But the where the the cracks, the fault lines were, were in these weird, you know, collateralized loan obligations and all the stuff that like no one even still really understands. This one, how did no one see this coming? I mean, come on. All, the the only thing you had to know was that banks had a bunch of mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, and we raised 500 basis points. <laughs> I mean, how did no one see this coming? This was this was not to me some weird because derivative instrument. They were incented to not see it coming. Probably right? they were incented yeah, probably. to look the other way. And yeah. and truth be told, truth be told, if it weren't for the now infamous memo telling people to take their money out and inciting a bank run, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. We would not be having this conversation because the accounting rules are such that the banks could have gotten through this by just raising some additional capital, 
which is what SVB was out to do. And they, they had $2.5 billion raised on the $1.8 billion hole. They were good. Yeah. Until Mr. Thiel and the PayPal mafia said, take your fucking money out. $42 billion in one day. Yeah. No bank, no bank survives that. No. None, none, zero. No. There is no bank, right? You think your money's safe in a bank? Bullshit. If there is a bank run, you're not safe. And there's a video going around now, this one's spooky, spooky, of uh, the banking, uh, banking and Finance Committee talking about bail-ins. Right? What's a bail-in? A bail-in is where they seize depositors' money. And, and the way they talk about it is, well, we have to create like turmoil so they don't notice it. Mike, you're on video. Like this is this is recorded. And we are not that far away from Cyprus, 2012, where you woke up and you know, three quarters of your money was gone. So I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, yeah, I, but it's, I mean, it's the fact that people are talking about it. That's, that's a spooky thing. Hey, I agree. And I look, I think if it came down to it for, they, I think the big banks are too big to fail. So what's sure. the incentive? You, you put your money in the big banks and then and then the, there's a certain amount of defaults when they're small regionals. And then the U.S. has to write a check because the FDIC insurance pool is only $125 billion. Oh, no, 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 Michael, we, we're, we're going to solve it for you. These banks, you can't trust them. Just take this little thing. It's called a CBDC. Full faith and credit. I, You're good. It's coming. I really don't like the CBDC idea. It's coming, baby. I, it yeah. is coming. The Fed is going to save everyone. I, I'm, I'm that in that we're agreed on because I, I think the writing's on the wall for it. But I, w- I want to get to to some other points here. So, um, the, the last thing that I want to say just about about credit conditions is there, there's a consumer aspect to this as well. Mm-hmm. So, how easy is it uh, to get to get loans for mm-hmm. the on the consumer side of things? That is way, way, way tightened up, which eventually will trickle through into earnings and and profit margins for businesses. Yeah. <laughs> The aggregate savings, this has got to be one of the weirder charts that that you see. I mean, yep. I mean, this has not, if if a recession started in 2020, which was already a weird recession to begin with, yeah. excess savings has not behaved how you would expect it to behave. I don't know yeah. what this says necessarily about the, about the health of the consumer or the household balance sheet or any of those, those statistics that people no, like. It's to a commentary but. on, on class warfare, right? This <laughs> is the haves and the have nots. The haves never spent the the quote unquote you know excess savings they were given. It's not really savings, but okay, you can call it savings. And you know, still just over a trillion or just under a trillion left of that, but it ain't gonna get spent. And the people who who need money right now, they spent it. It's gone, right? Yeah. Or or they bought meme coins and they went down. Um, you know, but. Uh, or meme stocks, but that the, the 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 dispersion between the haves and the have-nots has never been more acute, and that's what these charts, I think, say to me. They need to find a way to fix that. I I feel like we've talked about it so much on this show, but that I would love to see that as a more direct policy objective. Man, wouldn't you love to see that in a presidential debate? How are we going to solve that problem? Someone throw a chart up there. Walk us through what the solution of that is going to be. Allow I, people to invest in innovation. Don't tax innovation and wealth creation. Tax consumption. Yeah. I, I'll, yeah. I'll have the debate all day. Bring it. Yeah. I mean, the the idea that that we don't allow twenty somethings to invest in the best asset class in the world, venture capital, in their retirement account is just lunacy. Well, why is that? Because the mutual fund companies make a lot of money raping and pillaging on fees. Oh, their fees are so low. <laughs> not on huge dollars, they're not. Not okay? on huge dollars. Not yeah. on huge dollars, they're not. And if if you're in a you know bond mutual fund, 
clicking along at 3% minus your 20 basis points of fees and inflation's running it at three, you're not making any money. You're making yeah. zero, literally zero. And, and you feel safe, but you're getting screwed. And yeah. that can be fixed, but you got to put the power of capital and capitalism back with the people. Right now, we don't have capitalism. We have cronyism. The people at the top, they have a walled garden, credited investor standard saying, oh, if you're not rich, this is far too risky for you. We'll take it all because it's really good stuff. But for your own protection. So look, we, we have a system since 1913 that has fomented the creation of an elite class. And until somebody stands up to it, it's not going to end. The problem is the people that could stand up to it are owned. And I mean that term intentionally by the elite class because it cost $100 million to become a senator. No one that I know has $100 million to blow becoming a senator. So they got to get it from the elite class. And you want to you go on a, a really fun... Uh, uh, Google search tonight, go down the rabbit hole of uh, Mr. Teal's relationship to the Koch family. Uh, You'll love this one. I might just give that a Google. Yeah, I like reading stuff. I, I will say that the I other thing too- up though, so the black ass don't show up. So. Yeah, do you, did you see um, did you see Clarence Thomas? I think there's a brewing scandal with Michael. him. I have a picture <laughs> with my kids at that camp. Yeah. He was there the week be Harlan Crow, incredible investor, has this amazing camp. And every summer he brings clients and friends to this camp up in New York. And he took my family and I up there. And the week before Clarence had been there, we had no idea what was going on. Um, because he wasn't trying to influence us. He was re rewarding us for investing in his funds, which yeah. in and of itself is a form of, of bribery of sorts. Um, never thought of it that way. Um, but uh, my kids, my daughter came over the other night and said, Dad, is, is this the guy like in the picture with us? I'm like, yeah, it is. So Yeah. I think that, so first of all, what's depressing about that? One, you don't want a Supreme Court justice. There are only nine of them. Right. So uh, you, you don't want a Supreme Court justice to be um, on the payroll of a billionaire. On the payroll. I mean, that's bad. Whew. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So and then but it's then, not just him. So, it's not just Clarence. There's a whole yeah. bunch of other ones with different families. The, the other one. The other thing is that's the cost. That's the cost. I mean, Jesus, you, you'd like it to be a little. I mean, if they're going to take bribes, I mean, my goodness, I mean, this, this is not even huge bribes for such an important position. Well, and, and, I mean, you know, no, and to that point, Michael, Harlan's boat was going to be driving around the Seychelles anyway. So yeah. flying Clarence and his family over to be on the boat that was going to be driving around anyway, that's a sunk cost. So you're right. The cost is, is infinitesimal. You know, Top Ridge exists every day. And a couple I'm, extra meals and a change of sheets, that's cheap. I'm kind of being facetious here because obviously you'd hope there's no price. But, you, you know, the, it reminds me a little bit. Remember there was the the scandal a little while ago for college admissions where the the woman who was an actress on Full House, oh, she ended up yeah, going yeah, to jail. Yeah, yeah. So Matt Levine wrote this great piece about it. And he said the problem was not that the school accepts bribes for their kids to go because you kind of know if your name is on the admission building of a of a school, yeah. your kid's going to get into the school, right? Yeah, the problem was that they were selling these spots for so little. Yes. Because, because the yeah. cost of an admission building, you buy it to donate five or $10 million. These people are getting in with only 100K or 250K or something. I mean, you're underselling yeah. the spot. Yeah, this is this is good inventory here. We're going to be charging. So I, 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 I want to get your thoughts on on one more thing here, which is, I think something that's going to move into the fore quite a bit more, but it, it sort of has to do with, with fed credibility and fed independence. And this is, is that this is the fed. Yeah. 
Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see because what we're looking at here is so the Fed that this is the Fed's contribution to federal tax receipts. And it's gone from quite a bit, so roughly 12 billion or or 13 billion at the peak to nothing. And the reason why there was a contribution from the Fed is what is QE? QS QE is an asset swap or they're buying treasuries, right? And uh and giving and injecting reserves into the banking system, they actually had a nice little income stream going, which was reverted back to the treasury no longer, right? The Fed is actually suffering through the same thing that every other bank with yeah. mortgage-backed securities and treasury on its balance sheet. <laughs> they also have a loss, so they don't they no longer have that income stream. Then on the on the right here is you're seeing the U.S. interest payments going up and up and up. So. You know, when you conflate these two things, first people are going to start saying, hey, the Fed is actually a, a cost, right? The Fed, no longer are they contributing positively. Yep. Our yep. interest expense is going up. Why are we allowing these these jokers to to be independent? And that I think that's a, look, it's an outside concern, right? It's it's always been, there's always been a delicate push-pull political relationship there. But I think that these issues are going to move a little bit more into the fore. It definitely weakens the political argument for the Fed. I'll say that. What do you think? Oh, look, it's it's literally just math. You know, we we haven't had many periods in history, right? We had one in the 1930s that led to the the debacle of of the 40s. Uh, we had one in the 1860s in in the UK. Uh, you'd have to go back into the to the probably late or mid 1700s before that. Um, so it doesn't happen very often where the interest burden exceeds the capacity of the said, you know, empire uh, to, to pay. And, and what it, what it necessitates is a complete reset, like literally a Jubilee. And again, it's what the UK did in the 1860s. Um, it's, it's kind of what we did in, in the, the, the forties kind of, I mean, it was a little bit offset by the massive expenditures for the war. Um, which that's another one, a, a, a topic for another day is, you know, linking the, 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 uh, the periodicity of wars to, to economic contractions. Um, but this one's different to your point in that, that, Increase in interest is, and even though it's a terrible chart crime, right? Because they start it, you know, whatever. Um, yep. But horrible chart crime. But but it is a big increase, and and we're getting close to a level uh, of the budget that we've never seen, not even yeah. in in the 30s. And at some point, you know, we'll run out of people to tax, and we'll. Uh, run out of you know missiles to to send into the desert to to pump up GDP so we can increase corporate taxes, and so what's left? Default. Well, we ain't going to default. So you know, all the tweets. Oh, Joe Biden's going to default on it. No, he's not. No, we're not going to default on the debt. Now, will we def- devalue it? Will we deflate it away? Will we print so much money that you know QE comes back and? And that 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 those charts flip again, yeah, that's what's going to happen because it has to happen. Yeah, I no, I I tend to be in agreement with you there, and I do think we're we're headed towards some form of 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 jubilee. And the the other thing, I didn't have a great chart for this, but I saw Joseph Wang, Fed guy on on Twitter, you know, describing the the way I I I like the way that he thinks about rates because he thinks about it in terms of issuance and supply and demand of treasuries, mm-hmm. and the the CBO has estimated a deficit ranging from 1.5 to two trillion dollars per year oh, yeah. for the next 10 years. The only way that gets funded is by a massive amount of issuance of treasuries. Yep. And that has implications for the price of treasuries. I think I think what ultimately ends up happening there is similarly to how there used to be vassal states to the empire, and they said, hey, you got to pay tribute. I think the modern equivalent of that is you guys got to buy our bonds. Well, but no, that was happening, you Michael. Just the, the thing that was missing from that that last chart on the left was the banks, <laughs> right? The lender of last resort 
said, we're not going to buy any more. But you, banks, you have to buy them all. And we'll even lend you the money for free, right? Because it's still, you know, low level right. set funds. And so that's where they, they did the, the patronage. It was basically, you want to be a bank? You got to buy bonds. And so look at the balance sheets of all these banks. I mean, they were going crazy. Well, then what happened when they raised rates? Boom, unrealized losses. Shit, what do we do now? We bury our head in the sand and pretend it's not there. Yeah. Well, okay, what if there's withdrawals? Well, shit, now we got to sell some bonds, which is what happened to SVB. And look, Silver, Silver Gate Bank taken down for crypto and because the guy was a bad guy. Signature Bank. Crypto bank, well, not really crypto bank, but you're crypto bank, you're bad. Silicon Valley Bank, that wasn't crypto, right? That was all caught in the Warren crypto. Yeah. That wasn't crypto. That was shit. Withdrawals. Yeah. Because why? Because people woke up and said, I can make 5% in a money market. And so you had this massive inflow to money market accounts, dwarfed inflows to anything else in the mutual fund industry. And it was coming out of banks. And you, you, what you'll see, and I have it in my presentation later, is First Republic and some others, Signature Bank, tried too late to raise their CD rates to 5% to try to stem the outflow, but it was too late. And then yeah. the teal thing caused the flywheel to come off. And, and so somebody has to buy the bonds. And it's going to be the lender of last resort again. So QE will come back. Or this is what I've, I've, I've talked about this for decades. It yeah. could be that they pass a law that makes it the law that you buy bonds in your 401k. That could be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean. That's patronage, it, right? That's patronage. And. um. I, I don't know. Now we could do it the other way too. We could do, oh, we'll protect you if you buy our bonds. But China said F you to that. Russia said F you to that. You know, Belgium was buying our bonds for a while, but where it wasn't Belgium, it was, you know, Saudi through Belgium. So they don't like us anymore. Um, so we still got some coming out of London, but that's really Africa. So we still have some friends there, but there's just not enough. We don't have enough friends. We do not have enough friends to fund $2 trillion. So it's, it's, it's going to have to be um, old people, which that, that will be a big part of it. And that's what Rob Arnott talks about all the time is that you know, the 65 to 85-year-old crowd is going to buy bonds. And that's why that supply and demand is going to keep the, the, the rates lower than they otherwise would have to be. Um, so that, that's part of it, but that's not enough. So- it's going to be the Fed. Remember, remember the, the Bank of Japan said they were going to stop buying bonds in 2007 at 100% yeah. debt to GDP. And now yeah. they're 220. So it ain't going to stop. And you know, we'll talk more about it in the future, but uh, it's good for now. Yeah. This is, uh, I know you got you to run here to, to finish up your homework, but I want to, I actually, this has been on my mind for a really long time. And I actually, I wrote this this three part newsletter back, and I was just looking at the date in July of of twenty twenty one, and it was I called the axes of inequality, and the reason why is because there's this great there's this great book, um, my God, I'm I'm blank out. It's the Will and Ariel Durant book. Uh, oh, um, yeah, Will Durant's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and lessons of history, lessons of history, yep. and there's a great there's a great. Uh, section on economics and they have a bunch of other other stuff as well but there was this there was this paragraph that you know where they're describing the the a problem that greece had you know in one of the yeah. early centuries bc and they brought in this 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 king and he he had these solutions for for how to divide these you know it's basically class warfare back then where yeah. they had the elites and the plebeians and uh it was basically like soldiers that fought in whatever war had recently taken place they got access to cheap housing and mortgages. Yeah. Their children were reared free of cost by the state. There was a reallocation of land. Bill, free to yeah, it's the Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. It's, the, it's, it's literally that. It's always been the same thing. It's education, housing, and credit. 
I mean, those are the things. And if you look, if you look at the banking consolidation, that's why I just view it as kind of this insidious creep. I think it generally leads to worse outcomes because if you have fewer larger banks, they do the natural thing, which is they give credit to their biggest, best customers, which are multinational large corporations and not smaller businesses. And one, one, one just fun fact that I learned from COVID was I, before COVID happened, and I started to look into this because of PPP, I would have assumed the majority of Americans work for big multinational corporations. And yeah. it turns out they don't. don't. It's, the, uh, it's two thirds work for small business. Yeah. And yeah. small business is just getting choked out for credit. It's leading to these weird adverse outcomes. And I just saw the economist print some yeah, they printed something. It was like a chart of declining banks in America. And it's like, this was a trend going on for a long time. But anyway, I know we got to wrap it up here. No, so Mark, no. it, it, it's, we always need to end on, on the sinister, sinister Saturday theme. And this is real, right? This is not, it's not imaginary. You know, we're not, we're not tilting at windmills here. This is real stuff. And the, the class divide is real. The the us versus them, the haves and the have-nots, it's all real. I mean, there's an amazing chart uh, yesterday, the day before. You know, if you look at the net worth of the bottom 50%, it's basically dead flat, inflation adjusted for 30 years. The top 1%, it's a 45-degree line. I mean, it's been the greatest time in history to be rich. And it's exemplified by, you know, the Forbes 400 and, and all the billionaire class. And, um, you know, it, it's, again, it's a topic for another day, but it's, it isn't our imagination and, and it's not new, yeah. right? You can go back to Seneca, you can go back to Socrates, you can go back to, you know, the Peloponnesian Wars, you can go, you can go back to any of these things and they all have their roots in the same thing that uh, ultimately cronyism crowds out capitalism. Capitalism is the only good ism there is. Um, and cronyism leads to largesse and softness and ultimately collapse. And then, you know, the new, the new boss or the new sheriffs in town. And uh, anyway, so, uh, on that, what is that? What is that phrase where it's like hard men make for good times, good times make soft men, soft, soft men, men make soft bad men times, make bad times. Yeah, yeah, it's a great. You betcha. Anyway, you betcha. Here's here's to, here's to more hard times to make us to make us make us good. Yeah, well, you might get your wish there. <laughs> so. All right. Um, all, right. all right, all right, bye. See ya.